Have you ever gone through a season of lasts? You're like, what does that mean? Last place? <laughs> That's usually like season of last is last place and whatever it is, especially board games. Unfortunately, my children are getting older and starting to beat me at new games they've never played before. And it's very frustrating. Um, but uh, but th- I'm not talking about last place in the race or anything like that. But, but last, a season of last. What am I talking about? Well, um, yesterday was a season of last for Ethan. He had his last football game of the season. right? Yeah, and his parents are rejoicing um, because we get our evenings back. Um, so a season of last, maybe, uh, you know, as we get near the end of May, usually we get closer to people having a season of last days of school. You know, you get to the end of your high school career and you start maybe feeling a little nostalgic. Oh man, I'm getting towards, this is, the, this is my last, you know, year of high school, my last month of high school, my last day of high school. And you have graduation. This is the last time I'm going to walk across this stage. Until you remember you've got college too. <laughs> but all these things that you have last sub, maybe your uh, last day of work. We have uh, at least one retired person in here, another one that's going to be in how many days? 48, something like that. He's got to look it up. It's not close enough. He's still, he knows it off the top of his head yet. He, his computer's keeping track of it for him. But, uh, but pretty soon there's going to be that last day before retirement. And uh, there's other lasts, right? The last child going off to college or getting married and leaving the nest. Um, Lots of lasts that we come to in our lives, whether it's uh, sports games or whether it's school functions or uh, work and retirement or maybe even the last time we get to see someone close to us. I know Sarah got to experience that. Um, that's not one that we look forward to. Some of these last we look forward to, but, but definitely not that last one. And as we come to this passage this evening, we are we're coming to another last. We're coming to a, a last in Jacob's life. And uh, I've entitled this, the message this evening, Jacob's Final Journey. All right, Jacob's Final Journey. And I, have to, I put a subheading in there too. So the this, this subtitle is Remembering God's Faithfulness. But Jacob's final journey. This is the last time that Jacob is going to travel somewhere. This is the final one. This is his last. He's, he's gone on lots of journeys, has he not? He's um, traveled around with his family as their, their sojourners in the land of Canaan. And then, of course, we know what happened with uh, him and his brother and he um, got a little sideways with uh, Esau and, uh, I almost said Abel. He got a little sideways with Esau and had to flee. So he goes up and he goes to Haran. And, and so there's, there's one of his journeys. And of course, uh, he has the journey back down from Haran and, the, and then some more sojourning there in the land of Canaan. And now he is going through his last journey. And in fact, this journey is... Uh, so late in his life, he, he can't really do it on his own. Did you guys notice that? It said that um, Pharaoh sent up these wagons, right? I don't know about you, but when I read that part of the passage, I keep thinking of like the, the great you know, Western Trail and these covered wagons. I don't know what they look like, but that's just kind of the picture that pops up into my head. Uh, these covered wagons and, and for some reason cowboys riding down to Egypt. Um, but so he, but Pharaoh sent up these covered wagons and it says that Joseph or Jacob's sons carried him and uh, all the children and the wives and everything in those wagons. He, he, he was not walking along the, the way with this, with this entourage, right? He was basically being transported. Uh, but this is his last journey because we know if you've read ahead, which you're allowed to do. If you've read ahead, you'll know that he's going to die in Egypt. In fact, part of the the statement we're going to read in a little bit, God promises him that, basically, that he's going to die in Egypt. But this is Jacob's final journey. Um, And as we look at this final journey, there's there's something that, that, as I looked at it, I just see God reminding Jacob both verbally and in the, way, in the works that he is doing 
of his faithfulness, of his faithfulness to fulfill the promises that he has made, the promises to Jacob and the promises to Isaac and the promises to Abraham. God is fulfilling still, even in this passage, promises that were made way back in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But as I looked at this, I kept coming back to God revealing his faithfulness once again to Jacob. And so the big idea this evening is that because God has faithfully fulfilled his promises in the past, we can anchor our hope and our confidence in the truth that he is continually working to bring them all to completion. That's really wordy. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'll read it one more time. It's, I know it should be up there on the screen. Um, but just think through this with me. I know it's a lot of words. Because God has faithfully fulfilled his promises in the past, we can anchor our hope and our confidence in the truth that he is continually working to bring them all to completion. All right, so that's what we're going to look at and hopefully see this evening as we look at this passage, this long passage in Genesis 46 and into 47. But it's interesting, we look at what's going on in Jacob's life. We said this was his last journey. We see here in this first few verses that he is, he is understanding that as well. He understands, I'm not coming back. He understands, we're not coming back for quite a bit, for quite a long time. Um, and, and how do we know that? Because they're taking everything. Did you notice that? They're taking every single thing. They're taking all their goods, all their livestock, all their possessions, all their people, everything. Everything is packed up and ready to go. Um, and of course, if you've moved any time recently, you know that is a huge undertaking. Um, that is not fun. We've done it twice in the last you know, year and a half. And that was not, it was not something that I would anxiously await doing again. Um, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of work to pack up all the things that you have. And, and I don't know, I mean, maybe because they, they journeyed around to some degree anyways, maybe they had a system and it was all figured out and they could just get it done. But I mean, they're, they're, they're not just moving with the cattle. They're, they're moving. They're going from the land of Canaan all the way down to Egypt. And they're completely transplanting their lives. Completely. Leaving nothing behind. And so Jacob, in his mind, he's understanding, this is my final trip. This is my final move. I'm not coming back. Even though God has promised this land to us, I'm, I'm not coming back here. I'm old. If you, if you look at the way that he talks to Pharaoh, right? How, how does he talk to Pharaoh? He says, you know, my life's been hard. And it's not nearly as long as my dad's or my grandfather's. That's the Welsh version, right? So that he, he, you know, his idea of his life is pretty, eh, not great, right? And so he's, he's probably looking at this somewhat pessimistically and understanding, well, I don't even get to stay in the land of Canaan that's been promised to us, but this is my final journey. And so he's taking everything that he has with him, everything that his sons have, every, all their families, everything is going with them to the land of Egypt. But it's interesting, on this journey, he makes a stop. On this journey, he makes a stop. Where does he stop at? Beersheba. Why, what is the significance of Beersheba? Anybody remember? We were just in it like several months ago. What? Where his mom was buried? I don't think so. That was, um, no, that was someplace else. What? No, that was in Bethel. What? There's a well there. Yep. This was a, this was a, a famous spot with both uh, Abraham and Isaac. This was a place where they dwelled quite a bit. Uh, this was a place where we see several interactions with Abraham and Isaac and God. Okay, this is, this is a special place in the Abrahamic family when it comes to a relationship with God. This is like Bethel. This is one of those places that they, they would relate with that relationship with God. This is a special place. 
And it's on the way from where they're at in Canaan to the land of Egypt. But Jacob takes the time to stop in Beersheba. He takes the time to stop. And it's not just a quick stop, you know, you know hey, this was a great place. Let's all, mem- let's all remember this, okay, and move on, right? He, he stops intentionally for a purpose. What was that purpose? To offer sacrifices. Now, this is interesting because when's the last time we've seen Jacob interacting with God? Anybody know? What? Before Esau, right? When, when what happened? He wrestled. he wrestled, right? He got his bone pulled out of joint, right? So this was before Joseph was sent to Egypt. At least two decades, maybe even longer, because I don't think we know how long it was between coming back and when Joseph uh, was sold. So decades of time that we don't have anything recorded about Jacob and his relationship with his God. Now, does that mean that Jacob didn't have a relationship with God? You know, Jacob wasn't offering any sacrifices? No, we can't say that. But it is interesting that scripture doesn't give us any indication that he does. And it gives us an, an insight into this passage that this seems to be a special thing. This seems to be a special thing for Jacob as he's, as he's leaving the land of promise, as he's leaving the land of Canaan, he stops in a place where he knows God will hear him. He stops in a place where he knows God will hear him. And he, and he doesn't just stop there. He offers sacrifices. He seeks God out. He initiates. He seeks God out. And the first thing, first observation that I want to bring up is as we remember the faithfulness of God, we remember God's faithfulness, first of all, by focusing on him. We remember God's faithfulness by focusing on him. Because the reality is we as fallen human beings, as people who are quite frankly worried at very small things in life. How many, how many times have you been worried about something and you find out that your worry was just kind of a waste of time? You know, you, you some, you're worried about some decision that you have to make and you make the decision and like there's just, everything's fine. It's no big deal, you know? But we, we have a tendency to worry. We have a tendency to be fearful And when we're doing that, what we're doing is we're forgetting the faithfulness of God. And so the goal of this passage this evening is to remind us that we need to remember his faithfulness. And that begins by remembering, by focusing on him. By focusing on him and who he is. What does Jacob do? He comes to a place where he knew there's a history of God interacting with his father, with his grandfather. There's a history of God meeting his people here in Beersheba. And so he doesn't just stand there and wait for God to contact him. What does he do? He offers sacrifices to God. He puts an intentional focus on the God of Abraham and Isaac. He even says, uh, the God of my father. Right, it's, it's interesting, he doesn't really even seem to claim him as his own necessarily right at that moment. But he puts an emphasis on focusing on God. As he's getting ready to leave, everything that he believes is supposed to be his, right? That's the promise. Everything that he's leaving it was promised to him. This is going to be yours way back from Abraham before he, when he called him out of Ur. God said, I will bring you to a land that will be yours. All those years ago. And he, he's expecting somewhere along the way, this land is going to be ours. And now because of this famine, because of this thing that, that's causing me worry and harm and heartache, I've got to go down. Now, he, has, he does have some good news, right? 
He's got good news that Joseph is alive, which is something that he never expected, right? So there, there's probably a little bit of excitement in there too, but we can tell that there's some, some amount of fear with him going to, to uh, Egypt. Why? How do we know that? Because God says, don't worry about it. When God does talk to him, he says, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. So we, he's leaving everything that he knows. And there's, there's some amount of worry and fear. And all, as he's beginning this journey to go down to Egypt, he stops and he, he focuses once again his life and his family on the great I am, on this God. He, he offers these sacrifices. He, he does what he knows to do to show his surrender and his obedience to God. And God responds to Jacob. God responds to Jacob. I, my second point this evening is that if we're going to remember God's faithfulness, we remember it also not just by focusing on him, but by knowing his word. You have to know his word. Of course, Jacob knew God's promises that had been passed down by Abraham and by Isaac. Jacob knew the promises that God had given to him back when he was at Bethel the first time on his way to Haran. He knew the promises that God gave him when he came back to meet Esau and he was wrestling with, um, with the angel of the Lord and, and his, his hip was put out of place and he, and he begged for the blessing. He knew the promises of God. And yet God once again reminds him of those promises. He once again reminds him of the word that has been spoken and, and he, even gives him, he even gives him more promises as, as we read in this passage. Take a look there. It says, he says, um, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am in verse three. Then, then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. All right, what's the first thing that God does? He calms his fear. He calms his fear. He says, look, Jacob, don't be worried about this trip. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. This is good. This is going to, I'm going to use this. I have a plan, right? I have a plan. It's all right. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. And then it's interesting. He says, for there, I will make you into a great nation. Have we not heard those words before? I will make you a great nation. We heard it all the way back in, what was it, Genesis 12? If I remember correctly, with Abraham. We heard it several times with Abraham. We've heard it with Isaac. We've heard it with Jacob. Jacob knew these words, but once again, he needed to be reminded of them. He knew what God had said. He knew what God had promised, but yet he needed to be reminded. If we're going to remember God's faithfulness, we need to be people who know his word because that's what he's faithful to. He's not faithful to the things that we want. He's not faithful to the things that we desire. He's faithful to the things that he has promised. And he says, look, you're gonna be okay. And not only that, but that down there in Egypt, that's where I'm gonna make you a great nation. Because how many people are going to Egypt? Anybody remember? What? 66? 70 if you include, it's, it's a, I'll be honest with you. Go through and try to figure that out. It's weird. All right. It is correct. <laughs> All right. But it's weird. There's some things you have to do with like removing the daughters and then adding them back in and removing the two sons that were dead in Canaan and Joseph's in there, but then he's not in, it's weird. But yes, 70, <laughs> you can get to those numbers. All right, so 70 people are coming with him into Egypt. That's not a great nation, right? Not a, not a great nation yet. And I don't know about you, but you know, if I were, if I were Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I hear these, these claims of a great nation in this land, I would be thinking, well, I'm gonna have, we're gonna, increase in this land. Maybe we'll just kind of take over this land as we grow and get bigger. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they thought. That's probably what I would think. 
But what is God telling him? He says, look, I've promised that you are going to be a great nation. But guess where I'm going to do that? Down in Egypt. Yes, oh, that's promised. It's promised to you. It's still going to be yours. But the great nation is going to be down here in Egypt. That's where I'm going to develop it. That's where I'm going to grow. And of course, you can look further on in the book of Exodus and see after 400 years, there's a great nation down there. In fact, the nation is so great that the Egyptians are afraid that they would join with some other country and wipe them out. That's a great nation. That's why they put them in slavery. And so even though you've only got 70 people here, Jacob, traveling down to Egypt, it's okay. It'll be all right because that is where I'm going to make you great. I have a plan. I'm working it out. Not only that, but he guarantees his own presence to be with him. Does this sound familiar in Jacob's life? Remember back when he was in Bethel the first time? He was running from his brother Esau and he was going up to Haran and God met him. And he, what did he say? He said, I will be with you wherever you go. But not only that, I will bring you back. It's a very, very familiar words that he's speaking to Jacob here. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. I mean, he's heard this before. He's heard this before and it worked out, did it not? God told him at Bethel, I will be with you wherever you go and I will bring you back. I'll, I'll come back with you. You will not be by yourself. You will not be alone through this whole journey. And he did that. He, he was there with him at Bethel. He was there up in Haran. And he was there with him at Bethel again when he came back. God had promised and had come through. And I just think it's interesting that he would use some of these same phrases with Jacob. Because I think these phrases that he's using with Jacob are meant to remind him, I've always been there. I've always answered. I've always fulfilled the things that I've said. Because these are very familiar things that he's promising to Jacob. But he says, um, he says, I guarantee that you are going to come down and you are going to come back up. Wait a minute. I thought this was his last journey. How's he going to get back up? Well, what? Exactly. Here in a couple, I won't steal anybody's thunder, but here in a couple chapters, his body's coming back up. He's going to get buried with his fathers in the land of Canaan. And eventually, his whole nation is going to come back just as he promised would happen. And so God is reminding him that I will be with you and you will return. I think, I think Jacob understood that he didn't mean alive. Jacob seems to understand that this is, this is his last hurrah. This is his last trip. I think he understood that God was probably more talking about his family, his, his, the great nation that he's going to create. But yet again, God reiterates that he, his faithfulness to him in the past and his faithfulness to him moving forward. And then here's an interesting thing that God says. And he says, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Once again, remember, he's, he has some glimmer of hope hearing that Joseph is alive. And I don't know about you, but, but maybe in my mind, I, I wonder if maybe he was, maybe some of his concern was that he wouldn't make it all the way down there to be able to see his son. Remember, when, when they get together, what does he say? Now I can die, right? Now I can die because I have seen your face and know that you are alive. You know, see, it's, it's almost like that's the only thing holding him on is this hope to be able to see Joseph. And here God confirms to him, Joseph will close your eyes. You will see your son, the lost son, once again. 
And so God gives him this promise, kind of a new promise. As he speaks to him, as he interacts with him, as he gives him a reminder of the, of the words that he had spoken in the past, which should have brought up an understanding of the fact that God had been faithful in the past. And then he even gives him future words, things to look forward to still, something to hope in still. We remember God's faithfulness by knowing his word. Thirdly, we remember God's faithfulness by observing his active work. We remember God's faithfulness by observing his active work. Now, this is kind of a, maybe a weird statement, but the idea here is if you are focusing on God, if you are focusing on his word, specifically talking about his promises, his faithfulness, then as you go throughout your day, your week, your month, your year, your life, you will begin to see God actively working out his plan. Have you ever noticed that? As you go throughout the years of your life, have you ever been able to look back and see God actively working even right here and right now, to see the things that God is allowing in your life, in the lives of other people, in the lives of family members, coworkers, neighbors, to see God actually actively moving in the world. Do you look for that? Do you look for what God is doing? Are you searching for what God is doing? Are you watching for what God is doing? Because the truth is, God is constantly working. As we look at the rest of this passage, I'm just going to kind of uh, go over it pretty quickly here. It's a lot of reading. Um, but it's interesting that after this statement from God, they move on and Moses, obviously inspired by the Lord, begins to list out these people that have come from Jacob, right? Right after he's said that I'm going to make you a great nation in Egypt, Moses lists out all the different people that are going with Jacob down to Egypt. And the more I looked at that, the more I couldn't help but think, you know, that is really a current active reminder to Jacob that God is already working out his plan. You know, you think about this statement when it was made to Abraham. And how many sons did Abraham have? Two. But yeah, only one we care about, right? <laughs> Two, but really the, there was only one promised son, right? And, and so we've got one son. And from him came two sons. <laughs> Right? And, uh, and of course, we got Esau's line. But then we've got Jacob. And from Jacob, we begin to see a little bit more, a little bit more people. Right? You've got, you've got the, the same statement of Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Here's your one son. That's, I don't know, that'd be kind of hard to, to you know, put a lot of faith in. <laughs> All right, son, go get them. <laughs> I need lots of kids. I need lots of grandkids. And he, he gives you two. Um, <laughs> and then so then Jacob, you know, Isaac's there and, and he only has two sons. And it's like, well, God, you promised a great nation. So don't know how you're going to do it. But here in Jacob's life, we see the beginning of something that really has, you know, growth potential. Right. I mean, if anybody's ever been in network marketing before, you you understand the concept of the of growth potential. Right. This this has a little bit more growth potential than one or two children. We've got 12 children, 13 children, right? And, and we've got all these uh, wives and these children under them. Uh, most of them had at least two or three, I forget. Is there one that only has one or two? I forget. I'm not going to take time to look through it. But they, they all had multiple children. So we're starting to see God beginning to fulfill this promise that he made way back to Abraham that you're going to be a great nation. We're starting to actually see tangible evidence that there's a possibility for that. 
There's lots of people here that are going down to the land of Egypt. And so we have all these people coming in with Jacob, and I, and, and I just see that as kind of God's current acting proof that he's faithful. He, he's currently acting. He's still working on those promises that have been made, and, and he can, you can see it. It's something that you can look at. You can count it. You can see that he is making a road, a way to fulfill this promise that he made way back to Abraham. After we have this list of, of uh, family members, we see everybody coming into the land of Egypt. And, uh, and they've kind of got this process. They come into this land of Goshen and, and um, uh, what's his name? Judah is there to, to kind of help lead them into where they're supposed to meet with, with um, Joseph. And Joseph comes in and he sees his father for the first time in over 20 years. Maybe close to 30 at this point. Because remember, seven years, plenty, and then seven years of famine. I don't know how far into the seven years of famine they were. But we could be, we could be somewhere close to 30 years since Joseph's seen his dad. Now, I don't know about you, but... You know, I don't necessarily have long distances with most of my family. My family is, you know, 12 hours away. That's pretty much it. I don't have anybody halfway around the world. You know, we generally see people from my family once, twice a year. You know, maybe three times if something crazy is going on. You know, but there, there's a great distance. But, but as far as I know, they're all still alive. What's Jacob had? He's had 20 plus years of thinking that his son is dead. Thinking that there's no chance that he could see him. All of a sudden, he gets this news that his son is alive. Not only that, but I'm sure, he, I'm sure the, the message was delivered to Jacob that his son is in charge of Egypt. I'm sure that didn't, uh, you know, get pushed to the wayside. Um, and, and you kind of wonder, you know, did, did Jacob remember Back to the dreams. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that he did, but you have to wonder as a father, wait, I remember those dreams that Joseph said. You know, you got, you got, to, think that he, you got to think that that happened. But here he is. He's, he hasn't seen Joseph for probably close to 30 years. Last time he saw him, he's just a 17-year-old kid. 30 years, maybe. And they come together, and it's, and it's interesting. Uh, read what it says there. It says, um, and Joseph, in verse 29, and then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. I don't know how long that is. A good while. It's probably a good while. I don't know if you've ever been separated from someone for a period of time. I'll be honest with you. When my wife goes away to visit family or something like that and I can't go with her, that's a rough time because I don't sleep very well when there's nobody else in the house. So I don't get a lot of sleep. You know, and, and when she comes back, she, I mean, she's been gone probably a week at the most, maybe at times. And, and I love her and I'm, I'm excited when she's back. I'm glad that she's back. I get to sleep some more when she's back. Um, you know, and I'm happy that she's back. But, but I mean, probably not a good while. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, hug her and, and cry and, you know, for a good while. Maybe just, she'd probably think I, I was weird if I did. <laughs> She's like, what happened? <laughs> what happened while I was gone? But uh, this, was a, this was a huge meeting. And again, think about this. Who is Joseph to Jacob? His favorite son. You know, we can talk about all the, you know, the badness about that reality from a parenting perspective, but his favorite son. 
his most beloved son, and they come back together. And yet we can see, we can observe God actively working to fulfill his promise. Jacob can see once again, not only that he's got family that's growing, but that God is faithful yet again to fulfill what he has promised. God promised he would make it. God promised that he would be able to see uh, Joseph before he died. That Joseph would be there with him when he dies. And that's not even going to happen in this chapter. God had promised that. And here is the realization of that promise. Jacob could actively see God working to fulfill the promise that he had made. In real time. Do we ever look for that? Are we looking to see what God is doing in our lives, in the lives of those around us? Finally, we see that God promised that he would be with him, he would protect him, he would bless him in this land of Egypt. And we see that that is accomplished through this, uh, we'll call it a scheme that Joseph has set up. I don't, I don't know that I would think of him necessarily as scheming, but he's got a plan, right? Joseph's got a plan. He's got a plan in part to protect his family, to keep them out of the, you know, dealing with the, the Egyptians. Because you think about this, J- Joseph has been here one who, who follows after the one true God in the land of Egypt. They don't follow after the one true God, right? They follow after a lot of pagan gods. And, and so in many ways, what Joseph is doing here with this plan is he is keeping his family separate and protected from interaction with that wickedness. Not only that, but he's also providing them with the choices land in Egypt. He's giving them a a place of blessing. He's giving them a place where they can be fruitful, a place where they can grow and expand and become a great nation. (coughs) He has this plan. And it's interesting how he goes about doing it, right? He brings them into the land of Goshen. And what is this land of Goshen? It more than likely is a land on the outskirts of Egypt that was very fertile, that was where a lot of the the kings or the pharaohs' actual livestock probably already already dwelt. And so he comes up with this plan that I'm going to, he actually comes, makes them come to Goshen. It's on the way. And he has them stop in Goshen. He goes out to meet them. And he says, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to introduce you to Pharaoh. And when when Pharaoh asks you what your occupation is, tell them that you are uh, keepers of livestock and that your your fathers were keepers of livestock. This is just just your your tradition. This is your life. This is everything you've ever known is keeping livestock. And uh, because he knows that the Egyptians don't look favorably on keepers of livestock, on shepherds. There is, a, there is a disdain for shepherds in the Egyptian culture. That's one of the reasons why that was kind of on the, that area was on the outskirts, right? And so Joseph has this plan to, to protect and to bless his family by giving them literally the most choice area of Egypt for exactly what they were used to doing, which was keeping their flocks. And he, he says, when you go to Pharaoh, tell him these things. Um, and then he brings his, it's interesting. He only brings five brothers. I don't, I don't know why that is. Bible doesn't tell us. I just think it's an interesting fact. He only brings five of the brothers. Doesn't tell us who he brought, but he brings five of the brothers. And of course his father, uh, to Pharaoh and Pharaoh goes through this process just as, just as Jake, Joseph knew that he would. And he asked him, he actually asked him for the land of Goshen and, and, <clears throat> I kind of wonder if maybe Pharaoh was like, well, why would, why would I give these guys the best hand in Egypt? That doesn't make any sense. So that's probably why I asked him, well, what do you guys do? 
And they say, well, we are keepers of livestock. We're shepherds. And it's, it's like almost immediate. He's like, oh, <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, you guys can have Goshen. You guys, you guys can dwell in Goshen. And in fact, uh, if you've got any, any uh, uh, shepherds that are really good, I want them to take care of my flocks. Now, you have to think maybe in the mind of Pharaoh, what has he seen over the last seven to 14 years? He's seen this guy who came from a prison, who came up and answered his dreams, gave him a plan, and we're going to see next week actually makes him wealthy beyond belief. Um, and, and so he's got this guy who has really great knowledge, who, although Joseph admitted it's not in me, it's in God, right? But he sees this guy who's very successful. Well, maybe his brothers are successful too. I don't know. That's probably a thought that I would have. But he says, hey, if you've got some, some good guys, I want, them, I want them to take care of mine too. And it's interesting, we come to the end in verse uh, 12 of Genesis 47. Um, <clears throat> we'll get back to Jacob here in a second, but we get to the end, it says, Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. He settled his, sorry, going back one, he settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best land in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. So, Joseph has a plan that is going to protect and bless the family of Jacob. You don't see God actively working there. You know, a lot of times we look at we look at the statement from Joseph: "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, right? To save to save many people." Right, to keep much people alive. But we don't, I don't think we often really consider how well he did that, you know? I think a lot of times when I've read this passage, I've just kind of been like, oh yeah, so they came down to Egypt and he made sure that they, you know, they were fed and everything was good. But man, as soon as he's gone, they're gonna become slaves and, and all this stuff. He gave them the best of the best. He put them in the most opportune place for them to succeed and grow. He is the instrument that God is using to do exactly what he told Jacob he was going to do. I will make you a great nation in Egypt. These were going to be just sojourners. When they came and talked to Pharaoh, what did they say? We are, we're just here for a little while. Right, because in their mind, their home is in Canaan. We're just here for a little while. We're just sojourning. I think the brothers forgot about the promise to Abraham that they were gonna be there for 400 years in chapter 15 of Genesis. They They didn't make that connection, I don't think. In their minds, they're just sojourners, but even as sojourners, Joseph, through God's leading, gives them the choice of the entire land. He's actively working in their lives to fulfill the promises of the past. What about us? What about us? Do we focus on God and what he's doing? Do we spend time learning his word, understanding his word, seeking his word so that we know what it is that he has promised us. If we don't know what he's promised us, how can we see him working to fulfill the promises? Are we looking for God working or are we just hoping he doesn't? Think about that. Are we, are we watching and looking to see what God is doing or are we just hoping that he just takes care of everything? Because there's a difference in, in how you hope there. Because if you are hoping in the promises of God, but you are looking and seeing him actively working, your faith and his faithfulness will be stronger. See, we can look at the promises of the past. 
We have a whole book of them. We can see God fulfilled the promise of a son to Abraham. We can see that God fulfilled the promise of wealth and greatness for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We can see that God fulfilled the promise of protection for Jacob that time back and forth uh, to Haran. We can see that God is beginning to fulfill the promise of sojourning and suffering in the land of Egypt back in chapter 15 when God said to to Abraham, "Your, your people will be sojourners. They will be slaves in a land that is not theirs. But then I will bring them up. <coughs> and we can look back. We have Exodus. We can look back and see that he did exactly what he said that he was going to do. So why is it that so often with so much evidence that we live in fear and worry? We have so much evidence of God's faithfulness and yet so often we live in fear and worry. Why? I believe it's because we fail to keep God our focus. We fail to be consistently in his word, studying his word, knowing his word, reminding ourselves of the promises that he has given, reminding ourselves of the promises that he has fulfilled. And we fail to actively look for what he's doing right now. Are you seeking to remember God's faithfulness? Are you searching to see God's faithfulness? Are you just hoping it all works out? Just hoping in the end it's all okay. It's such a passive way to live, is it not? Well, God's got it all under control. Yes, he does. He has it under control. But that type of faith usually has you sitting on the sidelines. But active faith, faith that is engaged, that is constantly being reminded of what God has done and what God is doing is active faith. And it will lead us to do more for him. Two passages real quick from the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 10, one verse that we all know very well, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. See, we can hold fast to the confession of our hope Without wavering, how do we do that? We do that because we know that the one who has promised all these things that are still not yet complete, he is faithful. And that's what our hope is anchored to, his faithfulness. Further down in chapter 10, verse 23, it says, but recall the former days When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who are so treated. For you have, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had what? A better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What is it that's promised? Eternal life. Eternal life with God. That is the hope that we are anchored on, the promise that our hope is anchored on, the promise of eternal life. And we know that it is secure because of the faithfulness that God has had from the beginning of Genesis chapter three, when he said, I will crush the serpent's head with the woman's seed. 
all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, over a year ago. That is the hope. That is the proof that we, that we anchor our hope to because he's done that. He has sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sins, to die on the cross. So many promises he has completed. Why do we worry? Why do we fear? We have a God who is faithful and a God who we can trust. Let us remember to look at his promises, to understand them, to remember them. Let us keep our focus on him and let us be looking for what God is doing today to fulfill the promises that he's made to us. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God. In fact, you're a faithful God in spite of our unfaithfulness. Lord, none of us in this room deserves anything that we have received from you except judgment. No single person in this room deserves the grace that you have given through your son, Jesus Christ. None of us deserve the, the blessings of life that you have bestowed upon many of us, health, prosperity. But yet, Lord, you are gracious and you are kind. And you have given promises to us of a hope that is greater than any struggle that we go through here on earth, as Hebrews remind us, reminds us of that the, the, the thing that we are clinging to, that hope of eternal life with you, is worth more than anything that we have here on earth. Any possession, any amount of glory or power, fame, none of that holds a candle to what you have for us in glory. And you are the one that accomplished it. You have been so faithful to us, Lord. Help us not to be a people who worry about circumstances, who worry about uh, things that we cannot control. But Lord, help us to be people who are actively obeying you, who are actively trusting you, who are in your word, who are seeking after you, who are seeking to know you, who know your word and know your promises, who cling to them not out of some false hope, but Lord, out of a hope that we know you have been faithful in the past. And because of that, you can be trusted to be faithful in the future. Thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to trust you more in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray, amen.